For me, Helvetica is just this beautiful, timeless thing. And certain things shouldn't be messed with, you know? Welcome to episode 28 of I Think I Like This Movie, America's Least Necessary Film Criticism Podcast. I'm Noah Frank, joined as always by my co-host, Will Vitka. And this week, we're doing something a little different with our first documentary, it's 2007's Helvetica, about the omnipresent font used by everyone from American Airlines to American Apparel to the American government fallout shelter signs. Uh, this film is brought to us by our guest this week, musician Davey Andrews. Davey is an artist in another medium, perhaps your best position to answer one of the film's most important questions. Why is bad taste ubiquitous? <laughs> well, I feel like that was sort of an unfair thing to say in the movie. You know, the, the immediately following that sentence was the reason that Helvetica was bad taste is because it was, it was ubiquitous. He was saying that kind of the fact of, of it being the air that surrounds you makes it uninteresting. And I, I don't have a good answer to that question. <laughs> he definitely, like, if the movie I, had a I villain, wondered... he was kind of the villain of the movie. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I don't necessarily agree with him, but he was absolutely my favorite character. <laughs> well, I, I remember, I don't remember where, but I was reading some interview with a musician where they're saying, I bet if you went back to ancient Greece, you know, like the playwrights then would tell you garbage art is what sells, man. You know, I, I don't always know why the things are po that are popular are popular. But yes. I do often have the sense of like, I like this, so it must not be popular. Right. Socrates is a fucking sellout. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I, I did appreciate though, like, I didn't know that there would be that much like contentiousness and like this whole like warring factions and everyone getting very upset about, about something that I think a lot of us just kind of take for granted. So the lady who said that if you support Helvetica, you support Vietnam. I was like, wow. Okay. All right. That's <laughs> certainly a take. I also was morally opposed to Helvetica because I viewed the big corporations that were, you know, slathered in Helvetica as, uh, you know, sponsors of the Vietnam war. So therefore, uh, if you used Helvetica, it meant that you were in favor of the Vietnam War. So how could you use it? Right. Helvetica <laughs> caused the Iraq War, I believe, is, 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 is a tie that she put together. We'll get into all of that. Hold on. Before we get too far down, down the road here, Davey, as, uh, as our guest, as the one bringing us uh, this film, it is your job to kind of summarize it. It's, this is a little different. Obviously, it's a documentary, but uh, we generally ask for a plot recap, basically between a log line and a paragraph. Can you do your best to sort of sum up, and it shouldn't be as hard, I don't think, within the context of the documentary, what was this film about? This film is about the most famous typeface in the last 60 years that no one has ever seemed to notice before, because it's everywhere, and when something is everywhere, you tend not to notice it. So it's about the font that affects your life unbeknownst to you yeah i mean i obviously we see helvetica in the drop down menu of our preferred uh word processing you know uh applications i guess i don't i guess i just grew up where times new roman was the default and i always just assumed that was like the most popular so I, yeah. but that is very clearly not the case well that was in my head watching the movie again the whole time as well like that the times new roman like i was where where is its documentary this is this is untapped material. This is this is out there, you know. Um, yeah, is, I, mean, I think I like this movie spinoff. <laughs> well, I I think it'd be it'd be really interesting to find out why that became the default. Like, is that just a Microsoft Word default? Like, is that why did Microsoft pick that? Was that an anti-Helvetic? You know, like was was there some something based off of this where they they wanted to have their own look that was that wasn't the same? Is was it just to try to make it look more like newspapers? Like, I don't know. You know, in the movie, they were talking about that Ariel was a knockoff of Helvetica that presumably they designed it to save a little money. And so I would assume that Times New Roman was sort of the same thing. Yeah, because if you do a, a new blank document in Word now, it defaults to Ariel. It doesn't default to Times New Roman unless you set it to default to Times New Roman. And one of the guys who's in this, uh, Matthew Carter, did work with Microsoft. So maybe there's something there. I know he worked on uh, Verdana and Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I end up in Calibri on Google. I don't even Me know. Too. Like, they're all just, yeah, they're all just like, I think what makes it this interesting is it's something that you don't think about. It's something that's that's so second nature unless, except for this like very, very tiny sliver of the population, you know, uh, in terms of, of graphic artists and people who 
who really like do spend time for like their jobs thinking about this stuff we all just sort of gloss over and don't even like know what went into it so I, I mentioned uh, Eric Speakerman was the, uh, the, the guy who's, who said that that line off, off the top of, of why is bad taste ubiquitous is sort of one of the uh, people who did not appreciate Helvetica's uh, ubiquity. What, like, I, let's just dive into some of these characters because it's, it's so interesting having people who are so immersed in this world and speaking authoritatively about something as obscure to us as, you know, one particular font. Were there characters that, that really stood out uh, this time around to you, Davey? Was there someone who who maybe you'd forgotten about or, or just uh, a character that, that, that shone through a little more this time? We're, I mean, Eric Speakerman to me was definitely, I don't know, they're all font designers. He was the only one with an ounce of charisma. So he, he stood out the most. But uh, the other person who, who stood out to me was Matthew Carter, who, who uh, Will, you mentioned I don't know, he has a very, watching the movie has a very Jimmy Page vibe. Like this is a man who has lived a life, even though that life was mostly designing fonts, both out of lead type and then on a computer. And I don't know, he, he seemed the most generous. I, it seems sort of like people are selected in this movie for how strong their opinions were. I hate Helvetica or, or I love Helvetica and all other fonts are garbage. And so he, he actually seemed like someone with, with some perspective. Will uh, anyone stand out to you in particular? Well, as soon as I heard the German guy say, some people like looking at typeface, some guys looking like <laughs> girls' bottoms, I was like, all right, okay, that's, you've, you've got the quote of the day there, my friend. I can't explain that. I just, love, I just like looking at type. I just get a total kick out of it. They are my friends, you know, other people look at bottles of wine or whatever, or, you know, girls' bottoms. I get kicks out of looking at type. It's a little worrying, I must admit, but it's a very nerdish thing to do. <laughs> The other one, so the, the other two, since we've already mentioned those guys, David Carson was so harsh in his reassessment, I guess, of an article he had told somebody to write that he thought it was such incredible garbage. He turned all of all of the texts into wingdings. And then the other person was Stefan, and I don't know how if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Sagmeister, who at one point, I guess, had one of his colleagues carve their own type of typeface into his skin for a presentation and they show his entire bloody body there. And it was an intern, he said. Intern, sorry, okay, there we go, intern. But I was just like, you're either really, really fully engaged with this or you're a crazy person. And I don't know which one that could be. Yeah, I mean, why not both, right? I, Davey, I sorry, did you have a follow-up on that? Well, I the most amazing thing about that to me was, and I also, I should admit, I did some, like I, I did uh, stand up for a long time and I definitely did a flyer for a show where I had my friend, right? Like come see our show, you know, like on my face. And then I put my face on a scanner and printed flyers and posted them over my entire college campus. But that's great. Um, it, was, it was fun. I do remember like my girlfriend came and found me the next morning and she's like, your face is everywhere. Did it <laughs> but, work? It, uh, you know, people came. Yeah, there you go. Um, I got the Sharpie off, which is lucky. So the thing that blew me away about that was that this was, you know, like this was a, a well-known guy in this field and and what he was advertising for the thing where he had them carve into his flesh. And it wasn't that gentle from the picture. Was It was like a, himself giving a talk about fonts. Like it was like the smallest potatoes thing he could have done it for. Yeah, I remember when I was in high school, people... I'm a big metalhead, so I remember people talking about going to Slayer shows, and they would carve like Slayer into their arms using razor blades and stuff. And that's what I immediately thought of. I was like, "This is this is not okay." I realized that it's sort of you're sort of doing it for the art. You're sort of doing it for the impact it's going to have on whoever sees that. But that did not. Yeah, those those were not like scratches. That was fairly deep looking cuts. No, it was intense. But I but I sort of also feel like. I don't know. It was he wanted the attention, and I'm sure he got it. So, in his mind, it was a win. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think there's the understood baked in. Anytime you're going to sort of physically modify your body, you're doing it for attention on some level, and you're gonna regret it on some level. And it's just a matter of the sort of weighing of those two things and whether or not that's worth it to you in particular. Can we go back to Eric though? I got that guy was great. <laughs> I I loved him. <laughs> the, he says he said about Helvetica it's the default it's air 
<laughs> and also his other thing where he's talking about like how the original designers tried to make every letter look the same, which makes a lot of sense when you think about it. You know, no letter sticks out. The whole point is everything sort of rounds into the next thing. But uh, he said, like, that's not a person. That's an army. <laughs> like, with all their little helmets on. It just I, like, I, As soon as he said that, I was like, you're fucking, you're German, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> I just I, I appreciated how much he hated it for something that that is so neutral, like in so many ways, and almost designed to be inoffensive and projectable and all of this. Like like to, to have such an adverse reaction to it was I just thought was hilarious. I think at one point they actually describe it as being perfectly neutral and clear, which is why a lot of municipalities and governments use it. Before we get off of our favorite characters, I have to give a shout out to the. German curator at Linotype who pulls out, I think it's binder number 24 with the original Helvetica in it, and he goes, Woo! And there it is. Woo! The Helvetica drawings. <laughs> <laughs> it was just adorable. There's, I I, he was the marketing director. I can't imagine he's that busy. So, yeah, I, this, this reminds me of like, I don't know if, if you've seen this, there's a TikTok floating around with this, this, uh, guy who's like he's just super into trains and it's just a train that has like a really hilarious name which is why it got popular like a a, a name that is sexualized but it's not supposed to be whatever but but he's just so excited about trains like he's not joking he's not it's not like a gag to put this like weird name of this train he's legitimately just so happy to see like this one locomotive and like i feel like that's like everybody in this movie is just like so they're like they're so into this thing and, and like it makes it endearing like like you appreciate that they're like just unashamedly like really horny for fonts you know? <laughs> i mean that, that was, should that should be the episode title horny for fonts <laughs> well that was when i was watching it and you know the original question that you guys do for normal non-documentary movies is like where are these people in 10 years you know th that have transpired since you saw the movie and it and i kept thinking all of these people are just in the exact same place, still in oh, love yeah. with Fox. You, you could go knock on the, the office door and they would answer. Like they would right. be in that same office. That, a couple of them are watching the DVD just to see themselves on television and uh, more than a couple are dead, but the rest <laughs> are still just in it for the fonts. Well, so the, all right. So this film, as long as we're on this, so this film came out in 2007, which is not that long ago, but uh, it's still 14 years at this point. So we normally ask what has happened to, to the characters. We sort of touch on that, but what, in terms of, of of the font itself, I mean, how how does it seem in terms of of the world to you? D does it seem just as ubiquitous as it's sort of uh, presented to be in in this film? I think so, but I also think that Helvetica it's much more like it's for signage and stuff, and so. It's it's a weird thing where I think people are more engaged with with fonts and types than they've ever been before. That you have so many options and uh, and all that, but it's also very few people are using it themselves. You know, like I I went to look for it on my computer today and it wasn't there. But it's every you know I also got on the New York City subway today and went to a bunch of places where it it is you know all you can see. And so I think it's a weird thing where. It, in some ways it's still the, the same thing that it's very very loudly in the background well i i mean we just we have all just sort of watched this for the first time uh neither of us had seen this before so i i don't know what did you have any initial impressions in terms of thinking about you know the world as it is today and, and how much this still holds up I, I think it does hold up because it primarily because it costs governments a ton of money to change signage which nobody thinks about either so if you're suddenly going to pick a new font, you'd have to, you can't have one font for one subway stop. It's got to be the same font throughout the entire system. And I'm very familiar with those. I'm a New Yorker myself, former New Yorker. I live in DC now, as the podcast reader, listeners all know. But it's still there. And had I thought to look for it, I would have, I just came back from Savannah, Georgia, for whoever's listening. I should have looked at their signage. But it did seem very similar. And I, so I have to assume that they were also using Helvetica or Helvetica-like font for, for their signage too. And obviously the, the highway signs all look the same. Well, and, and you know, a lot of this, this uh, is filmed in, in Europe. Uh, a lot of the 
the people that they're speaking to are in Europe, uh, specifically in Amsterdam and Germany, which are two places that I just <laughs> was. And very much, I'm a, I, I saw a lot of the same buildings that I had just seen, uh, oh. <laughs> especially in, in Amsterdam. And, and I just been obviously looking at it through a slightly different lens. Uh, but one of the other things that, that struck me was, you know, mentioning the New York City subway and, and thinking about sort of subways and, and public transit in general, which all tend to have these very you know, basic looking, you know, very, very legible, rounded, simple fonts. It was, you know, I, I took a photo of in Paris, they, you know, they, at, the, at certain entrances to the Paris Metro, they have these very ornate old school metropolitan, you know, gate sort of signs that are, are extremely distinct. And, you know, they talked about how difficulty in reading can actually be a good thing because it forces, it forces your brain to engage in a way that, the Helvetica, the whole point is that it doesn't force your brain to engage. It just like, you just like scan it like a barcode, you know, your brain like sees it and knows it good, but like it works in the other, in the opposite, sort of the, the complementary sense for these. It's not the station name. Like you want you to see the station name that's in your modern, very, you know, legible font. It's just like the Metro. It's like, oh, you're at the Metro. And it's, it's, it's more this sort of visual impact of this kind of gothic, almost like cathedral looking, you know, uh, uh, throwback. It's like almost Halloweenish font. Like, I, I mean, I don't really know how else to describe it, but it's, it has this feeling do, to do, it. Do you mean the Carpenter font or what's like, called the Carpenter font, which I think is Albertus? I mean, if you, if you Google pa Paris, you know, metropolitan sign, like you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. They, they often have these little sort of red lamps around them. And everything. I mean, it's just this very sort of like a very distinct look and it in it you know exactly what it is the second oh i'm sorry it. i thought you meant the movie halloween no no that's, no, no. that's why i went to the, that's why i went to the carpenter font because no. he uses the same font for every movie no 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 I, I yeah no it just it just has this this sort of like it's not meant to be read during the daytime you know what i mean it's like a sign that's meant to be read under this these red lights at night like it's anyway i i i just thought that was a really interesting contrast you know in terms of public transportation but clearly like they're not doing this like i said they're not doing the station names in, in that font it's just like for the system that you already know is there so you can appreciate the sort of ambiance that it creates i actually have a question yeah because i don't generally ask questions on the podcast that's definitely my my host's job here <laughs> do you guys remember distinct fonts for like from when you were a kid because i just mentioned the carpenter font that always stands out to me and growing up Obviously, I'm a big fan of movies. I have like the day I have a poster for the day the earth stood still over in the corner of my office, which is one of I my love that movie. Yeah, it's a great the movie. The Theremin. And yes, Bernard Herman, I think, did the soundtrack for that. But I also have the head of a pinball machine that I grew up with, which has just this crazy offset, like real deep 1970s font to it with a lot of it's it's got a red background and a sort of orange color on top of that with some little white on the outline but it's stretched out so that it's kind of at like a 45 degree angle so that was those were always the fonts and the design stuff that i was really really interested in and loved i have never used a helvetica for anything ever in my entire life even when i was designing stuff in college for like design courses i, I just it's not that i disliked it i just didn't think it was interesting which of course is part of the complaint that our German friend in the film had, uh, but I was wondering if you guys had fonts that you are particularly fond of or designs that you're particularly fond of. We, I, for me, when the first thing you said, I, I thought of you know like the Pulp Fiction lettering, like I like that jumped out at me, and I, I don't know, I did, I, I've always done a bunch of graphic design, like I have a record coming out, so I, there was a lot of font stuff, and like I, I you know made a font out of my handwriting probably five, 10 years before this movie came out, which I'm sure would horrify everyone involved in it. So yeah, I think I definitely, you know, like I remember thinking impact was cool for a while in, you know, PowerPoints because your selections were pretty limited. And then, yeah, I, I think I I'd had more of a relation to fonts than a, a normal person. And so they're definitely ones or like, like the, the Sublime album cover, the self-titled with the current or your new, or that was their, uh, on the, that was their first album had Courier New and then there was the Old English tattoo on the third one you know I was 13 I'm, I'm only human but so yeah I think I don't know I think I thought about that stuff way too much 
you stole my impact thunder that was uh that when i was in middle school so i, I remember like i went to a middle school that were uh we had like power max at every station like it was kind of like a thing that, that they emphasized technology and everything uh which it may seem quaint now but i mean we're talking like 1995 96 like it was you know to have like a like a at that time like super computer or whatever at like every you know every desk was a big deal and and yeah and and everything from you know playing sim city to actually like getting into all of of the sort of design capabilities and and, and yeah I, I remember impact just like wanting that on everything because it seemed it seemed so like loud you know like phys- and, physically loud and it was um, also it was close together so you could fit a lot of words and and yep. yeah and very louder. very very tall and narrow it's like column columnesque in, in some way statuesque i feel like i feel like i i didn't like really i've, I've i it's just something that's fallen off i i noticed it more i mean we you know i've I've done some sort of rudimentary graphic design as a as a working for baseball teams and publishing books and stuff, you know, sort of in-house stuff. Um, but it's really more about just kind of sticking with with whatever the, the in-house, you know, guides are. That actually, though, does lead me uh, into uh, something th- that I wanted to talk about, which is I figured Helvetica might present an interesting opportunity for Gaucho Watch, the segment on the show in which I try to find a connection between whatever film we watched and the University of California at Santa Barbara, my alma mater. And I did find an interesting connection, which is as ever present and all lording as uh, this font is, it is not the official font of UC Santa Barbara. UC Santa Barbara is very, very, uh, it for being a very chill place, is not chill at all about, about their guidelines. They use Avenir as their primary typeface and product with a K instead of C-P-R-O-D-U-K-T, which I don't know if that's a proprietary font or whatever. Those are their two fonts. Everything is done in those fonts. It is a little sharper than Helvetica, it, it's not quite as as rounded off. It, it, you can you can see the differences, but I was, was really interested to, to see that like they have a very specific look that 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 is very much their look, and they're very serious about it. Anyway, that fulfills Gacha Watch for this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I I feel like I I mean you you mentioned like designing that and the people would be horrified that, that you were designing your own font i don't i don't know if the postmodernists would would be i feel like those guys did a lot of that where they were they were they were sort of you know freehanding or just messing with different things or you know uh you know taking things in a in a, a more abstract direction maybe but i also feel like the people in this movie it's weird so this movie came out in 2007 and and so everyone there these were like established people even if they did you know like i looked up some of the people uh, after I I watched it again, and you, you know a lot of these people are are huge deals in this community, and and so they all had time to you know go to school and study this, and like all the years that took them from that to being a big success, and so kind of the the personal computer revolution happened in those intervening years, and so there's they seem in the movie aware of it, but they also seem to sort of have have missed it. Like I I so I think they're all in some ways reckoning with the fact that anybody can create a font now and that anybody, you know, and that lots of people are. So I, even the people who are like, sure, I think it's great that it's now a more populous thing. I think they might also look at it horrified as like, this is my job and what I studied and like I made a name for myself. And now like hundreds, thousands of 12 to 15 year olds are doing the same thing as I am. I got the sense that they still might be a little dumbstruck by it I, th- I think the one guy we have to give credit there is the the matthew carter guy who, who worked for microsoft who did say that he was really excited to see what the next generation was going to do now that computers were so uh, well that the technology specifically was much more easily available and I, I you know i think you can make the case that that sort of democratization of access to 
ability to do that has really infiltrated and every creative pursuit, certainly journalism. <laughs> everyone's a publisher now, everyone's a content creator now, you know, for better and for worse. Uh, and, and I'm sure you face that some in, in music in terms of, of, you know, things like Bandcamp and, and places like, like that opening up doors and, but also just meaning, well, how many more things are out there now and how much more flooded is a market and how much harder is it to, to get something, you know, into the right channels to, to, to get people to pay attention to it and know that it exists. Right. I mean, I'm much more one of those. I, I, I was not here beforehand. I, I taught myself guitar on a whim and I started recording music because I one day clicked on GarageBand. I was like, oh, that's cool. And, uh, and it's now 10 years later and I've just finished up my, my 10th album. I'm definitely the person who would not be here without you know, like all of the, the gatekeepers falling aside. I don't think I've talked about this on this podcast before. It is it is an open secret with with our friends, but uh, I I don't I don't mind just saying it uh, out loud here, which is that all of our music, which is uh, courtesy of the South County All Stars, the South County All Stars is me and my college roommate messing around on GarageBand with loops, creating oh, entire, cool. an entire album out of them. So that is that is the the theme music that exists on this podcast is literally fifteen year old garage band compilation loops put through different filters and stretched been, into full songs i had been wondering about the music because yeah because it, it wasn't the, to my knowledge credited we've done i think about two and a half albums worth of it uh we, we did one album together and then we we invented this whole fake backstory we used to have a website everything this whole fake backstory of who these people were who were, who were dead and this stuff had been uncovered and you know it was a whole thing yeah and anyway uh and my favorite was uh this has been erased from the internet if someone can find this using their internet sleuthing skills i'm all about it but uh, we've not been able to dig it back up but through a chance happening an alum that we knew ran the the company that gave away the that does like the gift baskets for like the awards shows like the celebrity you know like like the big expensive they get all these everyone wants to get their their product into celebrities hands so they have these like fifteen thousand dollar gift baskets at the grammys you know and that everyone who's attending gets in the hopes that they'll start promoting whatever you know, i don't know this was a long time it was 20 years ago almost now but it, i'm sure there's still something similar anyway we because we knew him volunteered to go down and work like handing these out and in exchange we got to like hang out at the after party and have like a whole you know like fun night down there and at the after this after party was like this is just the strangest thing but it was all over this all these floors of this hotel and in the basement playing to literally nobody there was like 10 people standing around just kind of like hmm what's happening was Paul Oakenfold like he was he was spinning and like nobody really understood what was happening and we were like we walk up and we're like you're Paul Oakenfold right like <laughs> were we missing something and he was like yeah no and we were like why are you here like I don't know they paid me to be here he's like this is the first time I've played a, a show of like less than 10,000 people in three years you know what I mean and like there's literally like a dozen people in this room and so we got a photo with him <laughs> and we used to have this photo on this website that was the South County All-Stars with Paul Oakenfold at the Grammys. That's amazing. <laughs> literally was, but he had, like, he had no idea. We were just like the guys in like tuxedos, you know, like handing out gift bags. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, appreciate the chance to go on that little tangent. That's a, that's a fabulous story, man. Seriously, <laughs> that's absolutely amazing. I want to circle back because uh, I realized I never actually asked you uh, uh, from the top. We just got into other stuff, but why did you think you liked this movie? What, what, what was your initial experience with it? Where did you? Where were you? Did you see it in theaters? Did you see it on video? What was kind of your your uh, you know initial intake with it? Well, so I had I came to it in a weird way. Uh, I feel like this was you know the, when this came out in two thousand seven. I feel like this was sort of the first like big golden age of the, of the documentary where like wordplay had come out and spellbound and the king of kong and the aristocrats and like everybody was just like you made a documentary about grass i will watch it and i will buy the t-shirt and i will make my friends watch it who killed the electric car i don't know but i'm gonna find out like i was supersize me yeah exactly uh and so I was at a concert. My my friend invited me to go see L ten eleven, who I never heard of, um, and uh, and so we're in like the basement of the knitting factory, and and uh, one of them says something about the the movie Helvetica in a very mumbly way, and I turned to my friend Pete, and I was like, 
like Helvetica, like the font. And my friend Pete is like a like he he so he shouts out in, into the full room. He goes, "You mean like the font?" And everybody cracks up. And I went home and I I looked up the band and I was like, "Oh, yeah, they're in the movie about the font." And I was like, "Well, I have to watch this movie now." And so I had this weird story. And then you know, like I was living in New York, and so I I watched the movie and I had the same experience of like going outside and being in the subway. And and yes, it was all around me. So I I just sort of had this fond memory, even though. I didn't remember that much about the movie, you know. I I just remembered it fondly. Did I, I? I'm curious. Like, did you get more into their music at all? Like, like was that? Did you start listening to more? Because like, that's like the same era of when Ratatat. Like, we were listening to Ratatat yes. all the time. <laughs> like, well, like he he also invited me to see Ratatat, whom I loved, and uh, and like I like I would I still listen to them. I L ten eleven. I think they're. They can be great, but I their music has a lot less movement, and so I I, I tend to, if it doesn't have as much energy, I, I tend to move on. That that wasn't the the Guggenheim show, was it? I did definitely did not see them at the Guggenheim. Okay, I've been eternally jealous. That was one of the coolest <laughs> shows that's ever happened. They got to play in like the bottom of yeah. the Guggenheim. Everyone just like standing up in the in the in the. Oh, spiral. you're watching from the spiral. Yeah, it's incredible. I was like why why don't i get to go to stuff like that That sounds amazing but also like the acoustics would be horrible yeah i i can't tell if it'd be good or bad I, i'm yeah i'm i'm not <laughs> sure anyway um well but since you brought up uh obviously learning about it sort of through the soundtrack uh the soundtrack was the one of maybe the first thing that really caught me and oftentimes i don't that's not a thing that i even really notice uh about the film i kind of afterwards i'm like oh wait what did, what was happening in the, back, in, the, in the background um i was surprised like right off off the bat just sort of by the the kind of music th that they chose i think it worked but uh you know it's this sort of atmospheric instrumental rock going back having that knowing that going in i don't know what was what was your impression of of uh, the, the music in this movie? I, I felt like the movie was very segmented. The movie was like, I don't know, 20, 25% shots of cities with, like you said, kind of softer loop-based rock music with the drums that even though they weren't drum machines felt like they were drum machines. And, uh, and then when you actually got sitting down with a person who was talking, there was no music at all. And I felt like it it bothered me that they were so separated that it kind of split it up. And I was like, I, part of me just wants to split this up into a, uh, you know, a 30 minute movie and a 45 minute movie where I would see the people talking about the subject and, and I would hear the music and, and see the visuals that they, I, they could have been more integrated except for that one part where a guy was just walking around his city, pointing at signs while the music played that really, that was one of the most adorable things I've seen. But, but yeah, I, I felt like the music, could have done more to tie it together. Well, what was your what was your take on the on the music and the sound in this movie? I I think much like what Davey's saying, it it broke it up a little bit too much for me, just in terms of like the construction of the documentary. Maybe the director was like, "This might be too boring." Uh, also, we got to make it eighty minutes, unless it's not a real movie, you know, because it's very short. So it's like on the dot, like like they really had that number in mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, I liked the music for the most part. The random jazz interludes were kind of funny because it broke up the sort of loopy instrumental rock stuff. Um, but it it did feel like for a movie that is 80 minutes long, there was some filler with city shots that I, I mean, I realize why it's there because it keeps showing you the signage. But I would have liked to have that one dude who keeps pointing to stuff, like be a central <laughs> character showing showing me all the signs like that guy made like you just said that guy made it charming that guy made it fun and it wasn't just stock footage of a city street you know right like it, it sort of seemed like it was almost random like they were just like well we're here we might as well pull out the camera and we see what we see i don't yeah, know like right. i was let's just let's just lock down the camera point it in this direction and we'll film for half an hour and see what we get you know that kind of thing i definitely i felt like this is like the the documentary version of a Bourne movie where they're like, we're going to Paris and we're going to Amsterdam and we're going to London and New York and uh, and we'll just have shots of people walking around outside. I, I mean, I didn't mind the atmosphere shots as much, but I, I feel like 
and I, yeah, I was a film major in college and I've, I've made documentaries and like, I'm just, I'm thinking about it from a, from a sort of my own perspective of you really don't need to see a guy sit in a chair and talk for more than a couple of seconds. Like, like it, that there's nothing interesting about it. And like, I think that maybe you solve the musical issue. If there's just less, you just spend a few seconds with the guy in the chair, you overlay, you know, the, those atmospheric shots as they're talking, as opposed to like just with music, but then you can have the music flowing sort of in it. And like, I think about like chef's table and shows like that, where like the music is kind of always, I mean, there, there aren't a whole lot of breaks. Like there's, there's, there's atmospheric sound rolling through all of that. And, and yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, Will, to your point, maybe it was just like, like, well, this has to be 80 minutes to be considered a feature, but it probably would have been better at like 66 minutes or something I, like that. Could, we definitely didn't need as much of the city shots, but like, but I prefer the city shot with the guy talking over it to just a person talking. You know what I mean? I, so, that's so, more interesting to me. Of course, of course. But here's what I was going to say to your point, my good friend, is that as you lead up to uh, Hoffman's son talking about how Helvetica was created, you start to like build up the music and then you hit the, you know, let the music come in and hit the drums and then show the signage. Right. Make it like you see this everywhere. You see this in every single country. I am not arguing for a narrator because you don't need a narrator, but show shots from every single country and say like, here it, here it is in the US, here it is in Scandinavia, here it is in London, you know, and, and that way the music sort of fits with the bam, bam, bam of showing the signage as opposed to not dead silence, obviously, but like no soundtrack like uh, while guys are being interviewed. And then these juxtapositions of different cities with the same signage it's like okay we we sort of get it after the first time after that it just feels like padding well to, to that uh to that end was there anything davy that maybe you uh you know what we normally ask sort of about plot holes or continuity errors it doesn't really work in a documentary but is there maybe something that was under explained or not explained something that the movie you you wish going back now watching it again that they had gotten into deeper or or even just at all that kind of got glossed over i I think i did not realize who who these people were to some extent you know like like half the people there you'd got a little chiron that said you know designer or something but then and then and part of it is they, they never, they often, they very rarely came back to someone, you know, like when they, they talked to Herman Zapf uh, late, late in the movie and they, they never mentioned that he was talked about earlier when they, when um, David Carson, who was like, had the MacGyver look and really he was into being like the bad boy of the design world. Right. Uh, he was talking about how he, he published this Brian Ferry interview in Zapf Dingbats. And you're like, Oh, th- that I didn't catch it at first. Like, like it's called that because he designed it. That guy that we were talking to, like the, I, I think I didn't realize that these were these people were a big deal or like that. I, I, I would have appreciated what they were saying more if I had a little context as to who they were and and why their words car- carried weight. Will anything along those lines for you? Yeah, I mean the same thing. I really don't understand what. I don't know why I was supposed to care about why some of these folks were, were in the documentary. The one that stood out the most to me, even though she had some great quotes, a woman named Leslie Savin, who made a really great point about how corporations and the governments were adopting Helvetica because it made them seem more human. That is a great quote. By using Helvetica, they can come off seeming more accessible, transparent, and accountable, which are all the buzzwords for what corporations and governments are supposed to be today. Now, they don't have to be accessible or accountable or transparent, but they can look that way. But she's only described as like media writer. I don't, I don't know, I don't know who this person is. Uh, technically, I'm a media writer, I'm a reporter. <laughs> so like, can I well, just I, go on camera and say some stuff? Well, I was gonna say as a reporter, like, I mean, like having, I think about like, the way that this probably got put together, I don't assume that like the director necessarily just knew all the right people to talk to. Usually what happens is you know one or two people, they lead you to your other sources. They say, oh, this woman used to write about this stuff. She's a, she's a great source on this. Like put that on camera, have somebody say that, have one person set up the next person. So, you know, I mean, like, like 
that's how it works organically reporting a lot of the time. Like if you let the characters do that on screen, I think it works that way too. Uh, we're, we're then right. Like we, like we don't know, like a general audience has no idea who this woman is, but like now you do. And now once you've established your sort of main guys, who it's like, Oh, this guy created the font, like this guy. Okay. And now they're going to talk, they're going to introduce these other people. One person leads you to the next person. They sort of, it's like the credibility rubs off, you know, moving forward in a way that, yeah, they didn't, they didn't quite get there. That would have been helpful. You know, one thing that I thought is sort of a, it's sort of two parts, but it was, I started to think about it toward the end where, you know, this was invented in Switzerland. Um, we have a lot of European countries. This whole thing's in English and we're talking about words in English, but every now and again, you see words in other languages and obviously other like Germanic and, and like romance languages it seems like it works in those languages too, to the same effect. It seems like it has the same impact on humans to where it is easy to read and digest and has the same sort of aesthetic like nature, but they don't really talk about that. I would, would have been interested to see how that how that compares between English and French and Dutch and you know German and like or Arabic. My God. Well, right. But then then that's the second part is is there an equivalent when you get into these non- you know, in, into character languages, in, into into script languages, in, in languages that that don't that don't have that same alphabet. Like, like, is there an equivalent in in those worlds? Is is I I don't I have no I've, I've, I'm, like I have absolutely no idea. I would have loved for them to have gotten into that, and maybe maybe it only works in these in this. Maybe they haven't found something that's that's an equivalent. And you know, so are those countries using? you know helvetica in in other languages because it has some sort of like sensory impact in a way that they don't have an equivalent for like i'd be fascinated to know about that that certainly could have filled out and beefed up you know like a, a documentary to 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 sort of you know learn more about how this impacts like the whole world right and you'd save on uh stock footage budget <laughs> well I, th I think also just kind of the history of of fonts and types and where you know like I don't, you don't necessarily have to start at Gutenberg, but, but we really did kind of, you know, like start at 1950 and, and maybe a little more context there would, it, would have made it make more sense. You know, the yeah. other thing I really wanted to see, especially toward the end with, again, I really like that guy, Matthew Carter. I'm going to, I'm going to keep saying yeah. his name because I think he was my favorite just because he was like humble and not a dick. And I was like, I appreciate the fact that you're not being a dick about the postmodernists versus the modernists but i really 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 would have loved some kind of segment at the end where all of the designers are asked the same question like what would you like to see in a font like what would the next font possibly be that could replace helvetica instead of talking about how either amazing or terrible or whatever helvetica is what could the next great font be and show me some examples give me some visuals because this is a very visual film that sounds very stupid to say but <laughs> I, I, when we're but when we're talking about fonts you know the soundtrack doesn't really matter to the story right this is just a history of the font you know show me some yeah yeah and i think that would have you could you could have well, one of the things i thought was the most interesting that you could have even further sort of close the loop on is just how this reflects everything in society like someone comes up with something it becomes really popular then people start to tear it down then it then there's this whole counterculture this whole like it, it breaks down and then it, it people pick it back up the next generation and it's it's so baked in into their subconscious that then it just starts all over again and like it, it's I mean, this is the story of everything it reminded me of this, this old south park episode where they have these little seahorses that end up building entire communities up in the tank and like you know, they like become technologically advanced and end up nuking each other and they all kill each other and they all die and come crashing out of the tank at the end but like it's, it's this like this civilization cycle that like being expressed through the counterculture and you know the 70s and 80, 80s and everything and then like the same sort of reappropriation of like mass culture of the 90s and 2000s like it's just so funny and like they do a good job of it but right you could be like well all right then what then what does this say that society is going to give us next right like if, right, if so this is next? the cycle yeah. like then how does this express itself through a font i wanted to hear more about the the font world's grunge face 
because yeah. apparently that was a real thing. And, yeah. uh, and uh, I don't know that it's uh, 120 minutes worth of interesting, but, or, or sorry, 80 minutes worth of interesting, but I would definitely like to have heard more about it. Well, it definitely seemed like there was, there was a lack of, I mean, other than my, the, the German, the linotype guy saying, woo, it didn't seem like anybody was really showing us our archival footage and archival fonts. I mean, it would have been nice to have some perspective, like here's how, here's the font that everybody used before Helvetica. Right. You know, something like that. Well, that was, we, we didn't get any of that. Uh, there was one person, uh, not finding him on, on my list of names here, but it, who he, I, and I thought this worked better th than almost anything else in the movie where, where he pulled out some old magazines and he showed like, here was a Coke ad from the fifties and here was a Coke ad like from the seventies. And he talked about like here it's busy and there's four different kinds of fonts and they're all trying to say different things based on where they are and what they're saying in the ad. And then here is a, a later Coke ad where it is a picture of a can of Coke and it just says, drink me basically. You know, it, it, like I thought it, when somebody, I and maybe I'm dumber and needed that spelled out for me, but I thought that was one of the most effective parts of the movie. And you also, you know, spend a little less time of people sitting in chairs. It was definitely a great part of the movie. It just seemed like very, very condensed. I mean, I right. think the, I think I think the point was that there wasn't a unifying font. There was like that. This was the like that. It was just a smattering of whatever people. It was they were pulling you know Christmas card <laughs> like like calligraphy. Like it was it was it was just sort of this like 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 school of thought of how to do something, and then that all changed. Like it became it became the standard thing, and and so I mean I I think I think it was the establishment of the standard, which which yeah they maybe could have spent a few more minutes on it, but I mean I I, I thought that was. I thought that it made a lot of sense and again fits into that sort of the, the cycle of like pulling chaos into into order in in you know I mean maybe maybe a generation before there was something but probably not just because of the way that media changed over over you know the the sort of World War II era and everything and publishing uh, became so much more widespread and television and you know I don't know there's just there's a part of me that definitely wanted to know like what was the font in the the paragraphs being used like that kind of stuff I I realize this isn't like a history of all typesetting and stuff but it was just something that i wanted a little bit more of yeah i mean anytime you're talking about any sort of historical thing within the context of, of a documentary i think scope is the hardest thing to to pin down like how how wide or narrow are we going to go with everything and you're you know it's that's it's always gonna you're always gonna leave stuff out you're always gonna it's 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 gonna be what it is it's a very very minor Speaking of, of sort of uh, uh, time and era stuff, uh, again, this movie is not terribly old, but was there anything, uh, David, that stood out to you that really pinned this as being extremely having been made in 2007? Well, I, I think, yes, but I, it was also hard going in and thinking about that question because these are people who are in a very small, intense world. And so like there, there is very little about any of them that that said like, oh, this is part of the the culture at this moment. Like they're like this was an insular community of of dorks. Like most people who are passionate about certain things are. And so, it, in some senses, I was like, no, th this is what these people would be like at any time. But I mean, there were definitely. I mean, the big thing was was talking about technology. Like at the end, where they brought in the, the internet is really changing things. People can really express themselves. Have you heard of MySpace? Yep. <laughs> like no, you can't. My eyes just like I popped out of my head. I was like, oh, that's what you guys think the edge of. And then well, they pull up individual profiles, which yeah. I'm sure the person whose page that was is like, it's back. It was deleted in that server. And finally got it back. I, I, I did notice also that MySpace is in Helvetica. Like the like the font oh, really? is like <laughs> like the all, all lowercase, but it, like you like notice you're like oh right. Like, um yeah, that one that one was was a big <laughs> a big you know, uh bucket of cold water or <laughs> just reminding you that this, this is not current. Um Will anything uh like that stand out to you? MySpace was the was my was my big one. That's the big one. Some of the some of the fashion in New York from 2007 way different now obviously but it's it's pretty minor yeah it felt the, the look felt pretty contemporary the the one that got me was when when she was 
the our journalist was saying that uh helvetica caused the iraq war <laughs> yeah i was like that <laughs> i was, was like oh that right that war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right she wasn't saying the afghanistan war even she's saying the, the iraq, she said the iraq war i was like oh yeah <laughs> right right um i th- i i feel like we we kind of didn't talk that much about the the big conversation of the movie which is that people have really strong opinions about whether a font should express something you know like whether the medium should be the the message or whether it's there to convey information and you let your words or whatever else is there do the talking that people i i i was surprised that people feel so strongly that they need to pick a side there and i understand when it's your your passion and your life's work that that maybe you you know are part of a faction and you you pick up your sword and shield but just watching it i was like it it can't be both it seems like it could be both i mean i think it i think it is both i think i think you know people struggle to like everyone has their opinion about it but like i think the fact that it is used in in sort of big commercial purpose and big government you know public works purpose kind of makes sense and then if you want more niche stuff if you want something that has a little more personality to it you, you don't use that you go a different direction i i would watch a whole movie about the way just all just examples and like getting into like fallout of people who've misused comic sans in serious reasons <laughs> serious places over the years because like that's like a whole thing on, it's like there's a whole like reddit thing on like you know people using comic sans for like funeral announcements and stuff and like it's it's no. oh it's so good no <laughs> oh it's for like missing children I, like all of like the worst possible usages for it like it's it's great like i mean honestly like if you know if you have my sense of humor, you very much appreciate like humans messing up like that. I, I would I would watch a whole a whole thing about about that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it it's it's funny how much of a mirror sort of Helvetica holds up to like who you are and and the the way that you think things should be artistically. I don't know. Well, uh, any other any other scraps? Any other bits about the film? I think generally it's it's well constructed. Like I said, or as let me rephrase that, as I think we agreed on, it could probably be about an hour long, and trim some of the needless uh, scenery. I guess tighten stuff up, re-edit it so that the music comes in as someone saying something important. Do you have any other like individual notes? Anything else that that we didn't cover? No. All right. Well, that brings us to uh, the all-important question, the final question, the reason that this podcast exists. Uh, Davey, we must ask you, do you still like this movie? So in my notes, I wrote, yes, with a question mark. <laughs> I, 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 I'm in the same place. I think I did. Like, would I watch it again in a couple of years when I've forgotten it? Probably. But I, my, I sat down to like refresh it a little bit after dinner with my girlfriend, and we made it to I wrote it down five minutes twenty seconds before she said this is boring. <laughs> so, so yeah, I I like it. I, I mean, if if you know what you're getting into, like like that's the thing is like you know some I think documentaries are a little more transparent about that. Like you know what you're getting into. You're getting into a documentary about a font. Right. That's, if you had meant to walk into you know Batman. Right. And you ended up there, you you might want your money back. Right. If you just stumbled upon it on like late night TV and were hoping for something with a little more zhuzh, like, yeah, right. It's 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 gonna be a little dry. It's it's the nature of the beast. But right. Um, yeah, I mean I I enjoyed it. I was very tired today. Uh, and so I was kind of just like watching it knocked out on the couch, you know. But like like I, I I enjoyed it. I found it informative. I I learned stuff for sure, which is I think the biggest thing with a documentary is like learning new things about something that you didn't know about. That's kind of the whole point. Yeah. Uh, other than than your uh, time complaints, Will, overall thoughts? I think it's a lot more interesting than it has any right to be. You know, because this is like it's somewhat about design in general, which I I did take some college courses on that but it is also this history of coming from post-world war ii 
decimated Europe to what is a font that makes sense that everybody can use that will be clear and you can't like screw up really you can't really screw up Helvetica you know of course the postmodernists tried to by adding cool little lines and stuff like that but that was fun and that was the 90s <laughs> and that was the grunge so I think it's 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 really interesting if you enjoy documentaries if you enjoy deep dives I would say watch this yeah and I, I I liked it I liked it quite a bit I feel like that's the highest praise you can give a documentary this is more interesting than it has any right to be yeah that's what that's what you're going for when you make a documentary about you know beavers well and and I think you know the thing that makes this stand out from just any documentary is so many documentaries are about it's like oh well there is a story that you've never heard about. We're going to tell you this story about something that, that you don't know about. And you're going to learn from scratch. Like this is something that exists in front of us at all times. It's, it's, we see it all the time and we just don't notice it. And it's, it's calling your attention to something that you absolutely, especially the more urban of an environment that you live in, the more you see it uh, through advertising and, and through the signage and stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's what sort of makes it stand out uh, is that it's something where you're like, oh, wow. Right, that is the lettering on the side of the space shuttle. <laughs> that is, you know, the 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 lettering on the store that's around the corner from my house. Like that's, you know, you you really you really suddenly see it, something that you've passed by dozens of times before and never noticed. Well, uh, you mentioned uh, earlier, but uh, I'll give you some space here, Davey. What uh, what do you have going on? It sounds like you've got uh, some exciting stuff in the works. Oh, uh. I guess, oh, this is so rare that I actually have things to talk about. Uh, well, I uh, have an article that's supposed to come out on Baseball Prospectus on this Thursday, the 28th. Um, and then hopefully they uh, around then, I, I just like submitted to all the streaming services. I, I recorded an album with uh, uh, Dan Epstein, who's a, another baseball writer. We, we made a whole record about the monster cereals. Um, you count Chocula and... Frankenberry, uh, and I wrote far How too many dare songs you about forget Booberry, my friend? <laughs> I had never eaten them before I started writing these songs, and uh, and we made it's like a really loud, fun, like garage blues rock. Album. It's the most fun I, I. It's it's an extremely fun album, and like this, I would say, like I listened to it yesterday before like submitting it to Spotify and all the places. And I was like, this is. This is more fun than it has any right to be. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. And I did make, for, for my favorite song, I made a lyric video. And so I was downloading like spooky Halloween fonts for, you know, Count Chocula. Um, but so, yeah, so, so that the, the band is called Monsters with Marshmallows. And the album is called Sweet Things Inside. Uh, and uh, and the, the single, it's not like, there's a video on YouTube. It's called May I Come In. It's a Count Chocula song. <laughs> So if, if uh, anybody wants to listen to that, you would really, really make my day. I, I'm very proud of it. And I, uh, it's been done for two days and I really need a new project to work on. So, uh, and where else can, uh, can people uh, listen to your stuff? Oh, um, well, yeah. So my, uh, I mean, if you go to Bandcamp, my name is Davey Andrews. Um, and then I've, I've done another record with uh, Daniel Epstein and, and I'm part of a band called The Refurbishments. Um, but, uh, you know, I, all my stuff is on, you know, all the streaming services. So, you know, I'm all right. You could check me out if, if you're interested. Yeah, go listen to uh, Too Far From Town, which was the series uh, about all the minor league baseball teams that Major League Baseball decided were no longer necessary to be part of the uh, affiliated structure. Uh, there was a, uh, a set of uh, accompanying articles and uh, uh, you and a few others uh, did a song for each of the teams. Right, just a normal 50 song album and then a 14 track follow-up uh yeah and roger cormier wrote uh almost all of those articles or he wrote all of them and i i helped out on a couple and uh sarah engber and a few others did all the artwork and the artwork is incredible so if if you go on baseball prospectus most of those are free to to view uh and just the artwork alone is is worth checking out it's it's she's way too talented to be working with us well uh font fans uh sugary monster cereal fans <laughs> minor league baseball fans i think we've got the gamut pretty well covered uh davy thanks for uh for joining us and uh if you're you're not already make sure you're following us on twitter and on instagram at like this movie and we will see you guys next week
I Think I Like This Movie is created by Noah Frank and hosted by Noah Frank and Will Vitka. Editing by Will Vitka. All music on the show, unless otherwise noted, provided courtesy of the South County All-Stars. Copyright 2021. If I see a bourgeois now with lots of white space that has, you know, like six lines of Helvetica up on the top and a little, you know, sort of like abstract logo on the bottom and a picture of a businessman uh, walking somewhere, the overall communication that that says to me is, do not read me because I will bore the shit out of you.